in light of it being kind of the start of a new year and it literally being the start of a new year today, that I thought we would just take uh, some time to consider some other things that the Lord uh, might have through, uh, for us. Uh, and then we'll make our way back to Zechariah next week. Because I think that the new year can be a helpful time for us uh, to evaluate a little bit what the previous year was uh, and what it has been. And then also take some time to really think through what we hope to see uh, in the coming year. Uh, and I think that's a valuable thing for us to do from time to time, and most of the time we would do that individually. But here it is, first day of the year. You're probably tired anyway, uh, and so we will uh, we'll do this instead. Let's pray together. Father, uh, minister to our hearts. Well, we want to hear from you. And Lord, maybe some of us are a little bit tired, uh, and I pray that you would give us the uh, sort of that strength, the ability to just focus in. Or maybe some of us have a whole bunch of things on our hearts and minds that are ahead of us today or this year. We also want to pray that you would help us to really focus in on what it is you might want to say. Lord, some of us might be coming out of a really challenging year and maybe even fear what the next year will bring. And I ask that you would you'd minister a peace into our hearts. Lord, we know none of us know what this next year is going to hold but we are confident that you do, that you're in control, that you're good. And so Lord, I pray you would just really bless our hearts this morning with just a sense of peace, the peace that comes from being in right relationship with the God that loves us. And so Lord, bless our time. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, New Year's resolutions. Anybody make any? None of you. Okay. This is a group of people really striving to be the best they can be. All right. Well, believe it or not, 38.5% of Amer adult Americans will and have set New Year resolutions. 38.5%. That works out to 127 million people, none of which are gathered here this morning. Uh, I've come to discover. And of that 38%, 75% uh, will continue to maintain that resolution by week's end. 75% will continue to do so. 71% after two weeks, 64% after one month, and 46% will continue to be striving toward that New Year's resolution six months from now. Almost 50% of people will, will do it. And I think that's pretty good, 50% of people. And so you have a good shot. If you set out to, to kind of have this New Year's resolution, you have a good shot of uh, fulfilling it. Because 46% of that number that I gave you earlier is 58 million people. 58 million people will have achieved a personal life goal within a half of year from today. And that, I think, is certainly something to be commended. And so people, they come up with all sorts of resolutions for a given year. Here's the most common ones. My sources, as you know, I have sources. Uh, we call it the internet. Uh, these are the most common resolutions in reverse order. To read more. Anybody? All right, that guy back there. All right. Spend more time with family and friends. No, of course. Yep. Save more. That's a good one. Or, conversely, spend less 
I think a lot of us need to learn that lesson. To learn a new hobby or skill, second most common one everyone is hoping for, lose weight. Yep. And then the most common resolution going into the new year is to exercise more, according to my sources, that the most common goal is to exercise more. So they're all noble goals, certainly so. None of them are necessarily spiritual, but they're all certainly noble goals that someone might want to pursue, and I suspect some of you, you that resonates with you, and sure, I'd like to do that as well. There are people that are called life coaches, and life coaches have spent considerable amounts of time uh, researching this topic of the New Year resolution or the start of something new and the resolution to do something differently. And they have some suggestions uh, for those that are hoping to successfully achieve their goals that they adopt the following strategies. Here's some of the strategies they suggest for whatever your New Year's resolution might be. Number one is limit your resolutions to a manageable amount. So you don't want to change 700 things about yourself. You want to change a few things, perhaps, about yourself. Number two, be specific. Number three, write down your goals. Number four, share your resolutions with someone else. Number five, review your re resolution regularly. And then I think the most important, number six, if you fall off track, get back up quickly. And so as we were making our way recently through the books of the Minor Prophets, we've been doing that now, as you remember, for about six or seven months. As we've been making our way through that, one of those studies stood out to me, and I think really speaks to this idea of New Year's resolutions. You may remember, maybe you can guess uh, from if you've been here with us and paying attention. It was the study in the book of Haggai. And you remember in our study of the book of Haggai, small little book, two chapters, in that book, on five different occasions, he uses the phrase, consider your ways. And you may remember that uh, a little more literally, that could be translated is to put your heart on your roads is more of the literal translation. The idea is, where is this path taking you? Consider your ways, put your hearts on the roads. Where are the decisions that you are making in life? Where are they bringing you? Where are you headed? Where is this life that you're living leading to? This question I thought was really good, is, which I wrote. Uh, when you get to the end of this path that you are on, will that be the place that you really want to be. So consider your ways is what Haggai asked. And I think it's a great opportunity here at the start of a new year to begin to ask ourselves those kinds of questions. And so I'll, I'll put it in this form. Where do you want to be in your walk with Jesus when this year comes to an end? Where would you like to be in your walk with Jesus when this year comes to an end? And so I'm going to ask you today, and we gave you this little paper here, which I'm going to reference in a little bit, is, are some things like, what are a few things, one, two, three things, not 700, but what are one or two or three things you would like to accomplish in this coming year for Christ? We're going to think that through. What sorts of spiritual disciplines would you like to see established in your life this year? No doubt, as you've been a Christian, and some of us here have been a Christian a long time, and some of us here, it's a relatively new thing in our life experience, but no doubt if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably observed some other people, and, you'd admire, and you admired certain traits about that individual, certain disciplines that that person uh, is consistent to be about. 
and you're beginning to think, you know, I'd like that to be a part of my life. And so that's the second question we're going to consider. And then a third one is an important one as well, and it is this. What sinful habits, or even just bad habits, would you like to put out of your life in this coming year? All right, so those three questions is sort of the, the framework of our study today. I'll begin, however, with this. This is not a self-help sort of lesson today where, you know, you're going to be better people and here's the 10 things you need to do. That, that's not really where I'm going. And so I begin with this reality is that it's important for us to state is that those of us that are Christians here, we are who we are because of the work that Jesus has done in our lives. And any internal motivation on my part to become an even better version of who I am, it's because the Holy Spirit is doing a work within me. And in addition to that, he is the one that enables me or empowers me to make any corrections that I need to make anyway. I'm always reminded, Abraham, excuse me, uh, Benjamin Franklin, you know who he is, obviously. And Benjamin Franklin, when he was a young man, he had determined, I'm going to be a better person. And by young, he was like 30. He lived to about 80. Um, so when he was a younger guy, he determined he was going to be a better person, and he decided, I'm going to work on a new thing. He made a list of like 100 things. I'm going to work on a new thing every single day or week or year, whatever it was, that he was going to work on this thing. And he got to about the third or fourth thing, and he realized, I don't have the power within me to do these things. If you're a Christian, you do. You have the Holy Spirit working within you. And so we begin with that particular place. He is the one. It's not about us and how great we are or can become. He is the one that died on our behalf. He's the one that gifts us as his children with the Holy Spirit. And it's by his Holy Spirit that we're empowered to walk with him. And so as we begin, it's important for us to emphatically acknowledge that. You're going to want to do that throughout this coming year, is acknowledging, God, this is the area that I want to be working on Strengthen me in this, reveal to me in this, show me in this, and so on. Because as John 15, 5 says, apart from him, there's no thing we can do. And so as followers of Christ, we must ever be dependent upon Christ. Again, not some self-help organization, are we, Yoda, uh, designed to just make us better men and women. We are what we are because of the work of Christ that he has done and he is doing in and through us. Now, that being said, the reality is there is a part that each of us play in the, we'll call it, in the success of our walk with Christ. And we know that each of us, we make daily decisions that are either going to help us or they're going to hinder us in our walks with him. And what I want to consider this morning is how the scripture might direct what those daily decisions might be, what things we should be avoiding, and what things perhaps we should be pursuing. And so I began by asking three questions earlier. Again, they were, what would you like to accomplish for Christ in the coming year? What sort of spiritual disciplines do you want to see developed in your life? And what sinful or even simply just bad habits would you like to put out of your life? Let's begin with the third of those questions, the sinful or bad habits you like to put out of your life. On three occasions in the New Testament, the Bible likens this life that we follow uh, or that we live as followers of Christ, it likens it to a race, a marathon race in particular. So the Apostle Paul, he said in 2 Timothy 4, he says, I fought the good fight, fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. 
Now implied in that marathon race or implied in that statement that he is referring to is that he, he didn't just finish the race, but that he successfully finished the race. And we know that, that Paul would consider that to be his goal, to successfully complete the race, because earlier when he wrote to the Corinthians in the first letter to them, he said this. He said, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? And then he adds this, and it almost seems like antithetical to Christianity. Let the other people win. But he adds to this, so run that you may obtain it. Win. Now, he's not talking about, at the end, I'm the best Christian. His idea is win over himself, defeat himself, and his tendency to pull back, but instead to run in such a way that he would obtain it, that he would win. His goal, then, isn't merely to get a participation trophy. That's a lot of people's goal these days. Paul's goal was to be the very best version of what Christ desires for him to be was to win the race. And to do that then, there are some things that Paul uh, would need to do. There are some things that you and I would need to do. The writer of the book of Hebrews, he described it this way. He said, lay aside every weight and the sin which, so cling, which clings so closely to you in order that you might run the race with endurance. Here's how it's worded in Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I like the way the Amplified Version wrote this, especially that part about let us lay uh, aside every weight. It said it this way, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and so cleverly entangles us. The New Living Version, it said it this way. Every, it said, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And so a good question then for us to be asking ourselves as we're seeking to run our race and to do it well is this, what are those unnecessary things in our lives that are weighing us down? Or what are those things that are tripping us up? Or what are those things that so easily ensnare us? And as we begin a new year and as we take some time to consider the path that we are on, and consider where this path is actually taking us. Remember, consider the road that you're on. We begin to take inventory, and we do so by taking inventory of those things that unnecessarily weigh us down and those sins that entangle us and trip us up. First question, then, that all of us should be asking ourselves regularly, and especially as we start a new year, is this. Is there active sin in your life? Is there active sin in your life? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to go talk with other people about these things and name them necessarily. But on a regular basis, daily, you should be taking time to go before God and ask, is there active sin in my life? 
Now, of course, I'm not talking about whether or not you sin in a given day. Yesterday I said a bad word and I had a bad thought. You know, I'm not talking about those kinds of things because they're pretty much a given. I'm reminded of uh, the Apostle John's words. He wrote this in his first epistle. He said, if we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So I'm not, I'm not talking about sinlessness. You're, you're going to likely sin in a given day. Even as followers of Christ, there's that propensity toward sin and to sin that remains in us, and we understand that, we know that. That same apostle would go on to say these words. He would say, what we will be has not yet appeared. And so he knew that he wasn't there yet. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't sinless, that he had a propensity toward it uh, and to do it. And so what I'm talking about when I refer to active sin, I'm referring to open rebellion to God and his ways. Not driving in your car, someone cuts you off and something comes out. I'm talking about the decision to openly rebel against God. Because such rebellion to God in his way, that's what the writer of Hebrews is speaking of when he says, sin which so easily entangles us. And sadly, that kind of sin, more often than not, it's entanglements that we put on ourselves. And so it's something we can do something about, right? Amen? Are you with me? Now, I could go on and start listing, trying to list everybody's sin. Looking out, and I know that guy. And oh, yeah, and this guy over here, I'm going to list his. Uh, we could do that and name everyone, but that's almost impossible to do. And I'll probably miss one, and you'll think, whew, I can keep doing it because he didn't say it. But here are some common ones that many, if not all of us, might be facing. There are the obvious ones that others we can see in our lives and others can see in our lives. But I think just as important for us to be taking note of are those that are inward that nobody else might know about, especially if you've learned to put on a good game and you've kind of learned to fake it a bit here and nobody else might think that these things are going on inside of you when in reality there are. And so let's talk about the obvious ones. Paul refers to these as the works of the flesh, right? They're outward. He says, now the works of the flesh, many of them are, the works of the flesh, they are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, let me get a real quick drink. Excuse me. He says, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So what are some of those that Paul points out? And this isn't an exhaustive list. Well, one of the first ones is sexual sin. Sexual sin that you're either engaged in or that you are fantasizing about being engaged in. And what Paul does here and elsewhere is he uses a number of different terms that describe sin that would be according to that category. And here's some of those terms he uses in different places. Fornication. Fornication is sex before marriage. Adultery. Sex outside of marriage. Homosexuality. Bestiality. Paul lists a whole bunch of different examples 
throughout his writings there in the New Testament. All of those fit in this category there of sexual sin that Paul calls out as a work of the flesh. And if those are areas, or that is an area that is in your life, that's an area that Jesus wants to put his finger on and says, look, that needs to go. It's holding you back, it's entangling you, it's tripping you up, it's weighing you down. Confess it as such and put it out of your life. And look to me for the strength to keep it out of your life. Sexual sin. The next one he talks about there is idolatry. And idolatry is the worshiping and serving of something else instead of the one true God. And of course we know either figuratively or literally, as some people do. Worshiping and serving something else other than the one true God. The next thing he lists there is sorcery, which you'll be interested to know is the Greek word pharmakia, from where we get the word pharmacy, from where we get the word or the concept or the idea of drugs. And sorcery in the Bible refers to specifically there a drug-induced state which opens oneself up to the non-holy spiritual realm. And so it's this idea of being opened up to the non-holy spiritual realm. And for many, it begins in the place of mind-altering drugs. Enmity, he says, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. That's about seven different things that he lists there that uh, I think characterizes so many people's lives. And maybe even it characterizes some of ours. Divisions. Now, divisions may sometimes come. And divisions, sometimes they need to come. But I think we live in a day and age where we seem to be divided on every single issue that we don't need to be divided on. And you take that side, I'm taking this side. Why? Well, because I like a good fight. Well, that's a problem. If you like a good fight, and that's the reason why you take the opposite view of other people, that's a problem that I think the Lord wants to deal with in you. It's exhausting. And I think it's something we as Christians, we have a real opportunity in our day and age to stand out from. We don't always have to be on the other side. There are times we do. But truth be told, many times I think we just like being very much in the thick of it and having a good fight. Paul adds drunkenness and orgies. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul will add to this list of the work of the flesh He'll use some other terms, same ones, but some other ones as well. And I'll add things like greed and verbal abuse and theft and the extortion or the swindling of other people there. Now, as you look at that list, what I, what I think is really important for us to understand, and I, I think this is a place where people really begin to grow. When I first became a Christian, God really began to work in, in my life about a lot of my external areas. You get in a lot of arguments and fights. You get, you, you got a terrible mouth. You know, you're doing these things and that. A lot of these outward behaviors that everyone would like, yep, I've seen that or whatever. But then as I began to grow and those things were put out of my life, God began to really put his finger on just attitudes of my heart, things that nobody else could see. And if I kept a smile on my face, nobody would necessarily know. So Paul begins and he talks about this work of the flesh, and many of those are these outward signs but there are items that are listed there as well and in other places in the scripture that we might call these inward sins. So the outward sins and the inward sins. And that would be things like jealousy, as in the list that we had, or envy, 
or other places in the Bible, the sins of pride and covetousness and bitterness. That's a big one, isn't it, for a lot of people? Holding on to those hurts that somebody else caused in your life, and it really was a hurt, but holding on to it and refusing it to let it go and continuing to hold on to it so that it affects your relationship with other people, at least your heart attitude toward others. Unforgiveness along the same lines as well. These are the sins that you can actively be engaged in and nobody else might even notice. The reality is, however, that just like those external sins, these internal sins will sooner or later begin to manifest themselves. And sooner or later, people will be able to observe them and they will impact your relationship with other people. They're included amongst those sins that entangle you. You think of vines or something or another and how they wrap around your feet and they catch you up. And the more you move, the tighter it gets. And now you're no longer able to go forward. And so the first place then that we're going to begin or we have begun as we embark on a new year and as we consider where do I want to be at the end of this year from where I am right now, the first thing I think is taking inventory of our lives are there inward thoughts and attitudes? Are there outward actions that need to go? And then we make some decisions about that in our lives. Now, the writer of Hebrews, he said there in the verse, again, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us. I've been talking about the sin that easily and cleverly entangles us. But he also talks about stripping off the unnecessary weights. And these would be those things that aren't sinful. In and of themselves, they're not sinful. But nevertheless, they have the impact of slowing us down in our race. And remember, our, ra- our goal in the race is to run in such a way that we do what? We win the race. And so anything that slows us down, we want to put that aside as well. In the book of 1 Corinthians, that's where Paul said, so run that you may obtain the prize. Earlier in the book of Corinthians, he said this. I think it's such a valuable verse for us to know and maybe even memorize. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful for me. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Again, I I like another version, the Berean Standard Version. Instead of the words lawful and helpful, it uses the words permissible and beneficial. All things, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial to me. Now, of course, Paul's not talking about areas of sin there. Paul's never going to say that such areas of sin are lawful or that such areas of sin are permissible. What Paul is talking about are issues that are morally neutral, that we might choose to engage in or not. And so notice Paul's concern in such cases there. It's not whether it's right or wrong. It's not whether it's sinful or not sinful. His concern in that instance is whether it is helpful or not, whether it will benefit his walk with Christ or not, whether it's going to help or hinder his quest to obtain that prize. And so I'll give you a few activities or ideas here. It's not necessarily, there is not necessarily anything wrong with watching TV or streaming your favorite show. But that very quickly can become unhelpful in our quest 
to obtain the prize. Would you agree? Yeah, you spend too much time. So TV is permissible, but it's not necessarily beneficial. There's not necessarily anything wrong with scrolling through social media from time to time. But I think we're all too familiar with the phenomena of getting sucked into that social media hole. And you look up and it's been an hour and you don't even remember the last thing before the previous one you were just looking at that you spent your time looking at. And so social media may be permissible, but not necessarily helpful. It's great to keep yourself busy and involved in all manner of activities. I, there is some truth. Remember that old Puritan proverb? You'll remember this, Al. That old Puritan proverb, it said, idle hands are the devil's playground. And there's some truth to that, right? But the reality is we can also allow ourselves to get so busy with those things that we're now forced to neglect the important things in our lives because we got all these pressing, urgent things in our lives. And soon those things that really matter are neglected or they're completed with a little less than all we have to give. And soon we find we're struggling to obtain that prize. I imagine you're getting the idea. I hope you are, of the point that I'm trying to make. If we're going to run our race with the intention of successfully getting to the end of that race, or if this year we're truly going to stop and consider where is this road leading me and is it the place I really want to end up, one of the key decisions that we're going to have to make today or at the start of this year or whenever it is we decide to get for real about this is putting aside some of those things in our lives that though they may be permissible, they're not necessarily helpful. <clears throat> Over the years, it's been different things for me. And so in some instances, it's been involvement with sports. In some years, it's been television. This is one very early on. I remember this one. Uh, I used to go to church. I became a Christian. It was the first few years because I remember the church that we were going to. And because I would stay up really late on Saturday nights, I really couldn't focus on Sunday mornings. And I, I remember during worship, I would be sitting there, we'd be seated during worship, we had these pews, and it was always hot in the room, I remember that, as I still do. Uh, but the wood on the top of the pew was really cool, and I'd put my head down on it like I was really praying. In reality, I was like trying to get a little, little nap in, um, you know, until the, the teaching time or something. But I had so much difficulty focusing. And so, yeah, I could stay up late if I want to, and I'm here just like we're all here or whatever, but I wasn't getting as much out of it as God would have me to get out of it. And I began to make that determination. I'm going to go to bed a little bit earlier so that I'm attentive when, I'm able, when I do come. And so that was something in my life. There, there have been certain friend groups, and I want to win them for the Lord, but as I honestly evaluated what the impact was on me and the impact I was having on them, I realized I was the one that was... Uh, being led down to their path, so to speak. And again, that wasn't a path I wanted to be on. And so, sure, permissible, but was it helpful? Was it beneficial? For you, I'm, I imagine it's probably some of those things, but totally other things. The key is, in our walks with the Lord, is to be in a place of prayer with the Lord and say, God, would you reveal? What is it, Lord? that you want to put your finger on and identify in my life. So that's this first idea. 
What are some things I need to go, perhaps, because they're weighing me down or entangling me? The second question that I posed earlier was, what sorts of spiritual disciplines would you like to see developed in your life? Now, if you think about, for instance, a top-level athlete, you know that that athlete is making decisions daily in order to maximize their ability to perform. Everything that goes into their mouth, the things they're eating, all those kinds of things, uh, their workouts, you know, what they're doing here and there, the time they go to bed, all of those things they are taking into account because they know it's going to have an impact on their ability to perform. I, I would suggest to you the same is true for us as men and women of God. The psalmist, he wrote this. He said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so we're told there a formula, if you will, that one valuable spiritual discipline that you can look to incorporate into your life is the memorization of God's word. And we're told here what kind of an impact that can have on our lives that we might not sin against God. And so if you have done it before and have stopped or you've never done it before, you may want to begin the practice of memorizing God's word in your life and working it through your mind. And it's always with you wherever you go. It's not about picking up and reading because it's already in your heart and in your mind. Verses like 2 Timothy chapter 3 uh, come to mind. It says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's a perpetual reminder. That's a great Bible verse to memorize because it's a perpetual reminder of the importance of God's word in our walks with Jesus. Or this one from 1 Corinthians. This is a very helpful verse when we find ourselves facing temptation. And I don't know about you, but when you find yourself facing temptation, it's often not when I'm sitting and reading my Bible. It's when I'm out and about in life's circumstances. And so I don't have time to look it up and read it. If I have it memorized, it can come right to my heart and to my mind. And it says this. It's a reminder of this. No temptation has overtaken you except which is common to man. And God is faithful. Boy, we need to know that. That God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide the way of escape. What an important thing to be telling yourself when you're facing a temptation. And you need to hide that word in your uh, heart and in your mind. Here's another one for when you're afraid or fearful or you feel, feel, feel that you are all alone. He says, so do not fear because... I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I'll uphold you by my righteous hand. Such an important verse to hide in your hearts. Or from Philippians, when you're anxious, the scripture says, do not be anxious about anything. Okay, God, I'll just turn it off. Well, no. But in everything, do something else instead. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And you tell yourself that. And so when the fear comes in or the anxiety enters in, you can remind yourself of the truth that you know because you have the spiritual discipline in your life of teaching God's word or of uh, memorizing God's word. And that's how you can run your race, unhindered, and be further along than you would be if you plop down and you deal with that or you fall above that temptation. 
or you struggle with that fear or that anxiety, whatever it might be. One spiritual discipline then might be the memorization of God's word. It's almost certainly going to have a positive impact. Some other spiritual disciplines, the systematic and regular reading of God's word is so key and so important. And if it's not something that you're regularly doing, consider the path that you're on and where you want to be. I think that's one of the spiritual disciplines that you want to see become a regular habit of your life by the end of this given calendar year. Now, certainly, you can pick up your Bible every morning or whatever it might be and just sort of like, all right, God, show me something awesome. Turn it anywhere and point to it. You can do that, and God's word is God's word. But I think there's real value into kind of systematically developing a plan to read through God's word and pick up where you left off the day before. You, again, you think of these things like letters. It makes sense as you read through an entire letter. You don't just start on page 5 and then jump to page 11 and then back to page 3. You start from the beginning and you make your way through. I recommend a reading plan. You can get them anywhere. Online, you can have a Bible app. It'll tell you what to read. So you heard we'll talk about they're going to be studying two years of the Bible. It's a little challenging to do the whole Bible in one year. Some people do the one year. Some people do chronological. Some people focus this year. I'm going to do the New Testament. Whatever it might be, develop a systematic and regular plan to read God's word. If we believe, as I quoted earlier, that all scripture is breathed out by God, if we believe that, and we believe that all scripture is helpful and profitable to correct us and to train us and so on and all those other words that are listed there, well, then the regular reading of God's word is key. One of the most important spiritual disciplines that every one of us as Christians can develop. You remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? This is right at the beginning of the Gospels. He was taken out of the wilderness, hadn't eaten in uh, 40 days or so. And Satan came to tempt him. He tempted him with food. You know the, Many of you know the story in the passage. And Jesus' response was this. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus likens there the word of God and the impact that the word of God can have on our lives to the impact that food can have in our lives. And you know how you are after missing a meal or a couple of meals or you fast for a few days or whatever it may be. You know the impact. You get sluggish, you get tired, you get cranky, all those other sorts of things. Well, Jesus, I think, is making it clear that's the kind of impact going without God's word. And I know a lot of us, our, our main time or maybe our only time in the word is Sunday mornings. And that's better than no mornings. But let me tell you, if you want to get to that place on that road that you're hoping to get to, you need to regularly work the word of God into your life and make it an important spiritual discipline. I'm so grateful. I learned this when I was a a new Christian. And it just became a part of who I was uh, and who I am. And I hope that it becomes a part of who you are as well. Here's another spiritual discipline. And these aren't the only ones. But it's the steady and consistent gathering together with other believers. That's something I think gets neglected a lot. And I think COVID added a lot to it. Because I can just stay home. I'll just watch it on TV. Or, ooh, what church do I want to go to today? I'm going to go to Alistair Begg's church today. 
and then I'm going to go to John MacArthur's next Sunday, and then I'll go to you know, Joe Foch's the follow. And you just tune in to your favorite Bible teacher. And that's obviously not going to hurt. Those are great Bible teachers. And they're going to have, no doubt, a positive impact on your life. But God would have us, and this is really clear, and I'll, and I'll say it really clear. Sometimes I say things like, look, do what you want with this. This one is very, very clear. God would have us gather together as a body of believers, either this body or some other body. This is not the only body that exists in the world. But he would have us gather together as a body of believers. And so I encourage you, make that spiritual discipline a priority in your Christian walk. And as you do, you will see spiritual dividends as a result. I referenced some examples in my life. I did this. I became a Christian in October of 1988. New Year's Eve, 1989, or 88, going into 89, I kind of made a little agreement with myself. I was going to be at church every Sunday that following year. I don't remember if I did it or not. I'm pretty sure I did. It made an impact on my life. And I went to church every Sunday there, and I didn't have, well, you know, let's get an early start at the beach or those kinds of things. I put all those things, nope, I'll get there at noon or whatever. And I made the commitment and the determination. And I'm not saying like, and I won a prize because I did. God was so happy with me. I'm saying it made a positive impact on my walk with Jesus. And I would never go back and change it so I could get an earlier start on my trip to this place or that place. Let God minister to your heart about that. It is really good to gather with the saints of God. It really is. And we come on a Sunday, and you're like, man, I didn't get the tingles. That's all right. It's not about getting the tingles necessarily. It's just about another brick in the foundation of your walk with Christ. And you do that every week and every year and every decade and every series of decades. And suddenly you have this firm foundation that your life is built upon. So commit yourself in that. Prayer is a valuable spiritual discipline, both individually, which is an area that I would like to grow in, but also corporately. Gathering with other people in a small group or in a large group setting, but gathering with other people to be in prayer for their needs and then for your needs as well. And then just for our community around us. Some other quick ones. Find out your spiritual gifts and then exercise those spiritual gifts. Here's one we're not going to get a lot of amens about. Fast. Amen? And not just because the doctor is making you take a test, and you're like, oh, cool, I'll fast for that, and I'll throw in some prayers, and then I can tell people I've been fasting. All right, That doesn't count. All right? We all know that that doesn't count. But fasting consistently. Because what that allows is it's an unhindered time to hear from the Lord that he might direct your prayers. Develop the habit of consistently and sacrificially giving of your resources, your financial resources, but also of yourself and of your time. We talk about exercising your spiritual gift. I learned a lesson early on in my Christian walk of this idea of not only tithing financially, which I did from early on in my walk with the Lord, but also tithing uh, chronologically. And so there's 168 years or um, hours in a week. And can I tithe, if you will, 17 hours a week where I'm about serving other people and not just doing my own thing? Or if you want to kind of cheat a little bit, I think it's okay. 
Okay, well, all right, I sleep eight hours a day. We'll take those out or whatever. And that leaves me with this remainder of days. So can I tithe eight hours a week? I think it's really helpful. And it gets you just determined, this is what I'm going to do. And God blesses that. I think one of the most important things I'd like to see grow here at Calvary is our sharing of lives together in smaller group settings. I think we're lacking in that as a church. Now, a lot of us are doing it. I'm not, hey, wait a minute. You know, I, you are good. Continue to do that. It's so important. But I think there's many of us here in this church where we just sort of come in, we give a friendly smile to some other people, and then we get back in our cars and we leave, and we don't have much of an interaction with others. God designed us as a body of believers, which means we have to interact as a body of believers. And Sunday mornings doesn't always allow for that. It's in those smaller group settings where we have the time and the opportunity to really begin to invest in other people's lives and care about other people and them to care about us. And we find out what they're dealing with and we call them three days later and say, I've been praying about this, or we send them a text, how are things going in that? That's when the body really becomes knit together. And that's what I think God would have for us and for all smaller churches and by smaller, I mean there's the big capital C church, and then there's the individual churches that are scattered around on street corners. That's what God would have for each of those smaller churches, is that we begin to really get plugged in with one another. And so if you're not part of a small group yet, or you look at your schedule and you say, you know what, I can be a part of even another one. And so I'm on this one that meets once a month, but there's no reason why I can't do another one which meets every other week, or whatever it might be. If you're not sure what they are here at Calvary, let us know. And it doesn't even have to be officially Calvary. Just you and a group of friends get together and you begin to share your life together, particularly your walks and your struggles and praying for one another, encouraging one another. Let's move on. we got to get going. Holy cow. Journaling. Jim said, make sure you share journaling. And so, journaling. I, I encourage you to do it. If you have any questions, Jim will explain to you. No, but it's important. It is an important habit. I don't do it as much as I, I maybe I should or could, um, but it is important because it allows you to process your thoughts. I think the greatest benefit of it is for you six months later to go back and see the things you were praying about or see the things God was working in your heart about that were freaking you out at the time, and here you are now. You're like, wow, look how God worked that thing out. That's great, and it builds your faith. I, I like. There's a prayer group that gathers on Thursday mornings that my wife is a part of, and one of the things that they do is Thursday afternoons. One of the things they do is they gather together every six months or so, um, not to pray, but to go through all the ways that God answered their prayers. And that's building up of the faith. It really encourages your faith. So that's why you might want to personally journal, or your group might want to. The idea, is, there's one more I should say, is taking inventory regularly. Lord, where am I at? What are you doing in me? What do you want to change in my heart? Where am I getting off track? How did I kind of slip off this path? And how do you want me to get back on the right path? Last question I said is, what would you like to accomplish in the coming year for Christ? Winning a family member to the Lord, maybe. Someone you've been, you know, kind of like, yeah, it'd be cool if they came to the Lord. No, now I'm purposing. By the end of this year, I want to make sure that I have made it so incredibly clear to this individual that they are without excuse, so to speak, at the end of their days. What they decide to do with that is what they decide to do with it. But maybe your personal goal is to win a family member or friend to the Lord. Maybe it is having a greater Christian influence 
in your community. I think that's an incredibly noble goal. And what steps do I need to take come the end of this year that I would be having a greater Christian influence on our community? Maybe it's something like, you know what, this year I want to open up my home for one of these home groups that Greg is speaking about. And I know it means we're going to have to clean the house more regularly and we can't go to bed earlier because we're going to open it up. But maybe that's what you want to determine to do. Or perhaps you've been sensing God has been gifting you in an area to lead one of those home groups. Maybe you don't have a, a home big enough to invite people in, but maybe you could begin praying that God will partner you with a person or a family that does. And you can go and teach, and they can go and serve the cookies. And both of you are accomplishing the goal that you've set out to accomplish. I, I came across this book again. It's called Good to Great in God's Eyes. We talked about it uh, a number of years ago. And I came across it again. I'll probably reread it again this calendar year. But I wanted to read to you just a couple of quotes from the book. Chip Ingram, Pastor Chip, some of you know him. He said this. He said, Christians who want to live the average Christian life can do so almost by default. But those who dream of eternal impact in the kingdom of God, those who envision crossing the finish line as one of God's great saints, they're motivated to do whatever it takes to be used by God powerfully. In another place, he wrote this. He said, so what are your ambitions as a Christian? Have you thought about the kind of Christian you'd like to be five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? He says, here he asks, have you deeply pondered what kind of impact you want your life to have for Christ? And then the last thing he says, and this is part of the reason we gave you these cards here today. Hopefully every one of you has one. The last thing he says is develop a plan to get there. Because a haphazard, go-with-the-flow approach will almost guarantee an average spiritual life. And so I began this morning by referencing some of those suggestions that life coaches give regarding New Year's re resolutions. By way of reminder, as we seek to hopefully apply these to our faith and our walk with Christ, here's some of what they were again. Number one, be specific. Be specific with the goals that you set for yourself for the coming year. Number two, write down those goals. And we put it on one of these pieces of cardstock here so that it's something that you can keep in your Bible because write down your goals, but then the second part of it is return to it regularly. Look at it again. Use this as your bookmark for your Bible study reading so that when you come by it again, yep, that's right, my goal is to be praying more. So before I get up, I'm going to pray a little bit more. It's a reminder. It's helpful. Number three, share your goals with others. Number four, again, was review your goals regularly. And then, again, this one's so important. If you stumble, if you fall, I'm going to read my Bible every day and you miss tomorrow, don't wait till next January 1st to start all over. Start again, all right? And so you did it 363 days instead of 365 days. That's still pretty good, and it's still going to have an impact. So if you stumble, brush yourself off, set yourself back up again. Bible commentator William Barclay, he said this. He said, the tragedy of life so often is not that we have no high impulses, but that we fail to turn them into actions. 
And so what I would like to encourage you to do, not here necessarily, there's pencils available, but what I would like you to encourage you to do is prayerfully complete this card that we have given out to you today and answer those particular questions. Some say list a couple of things, some ask you a specific question, but answer those questions prayerfully. And take some time with God to have him reveal some of these areas to you. And again, don't list 700 things. We all know we all have 700 things that we could list. But list two or three things realistically. And get them down there. And then second step, find someone to share them with. If you have a spouse, perhaps share it with your spouse. If you're in a Bible study group or a prayer group, share it with some people in that group or in that prayer group. If you don't have anyone, come share it with me. I'd love to hear it. But share it with another person and then take that card and put it back into your Bibles in a place where you can come back to it regularly, maybe as your bookmark. And so that each day of this year, you can look at it again and begin applying to your life what it was that God was revealing to you at the start of this calendar year. And I'm convinced that as each one of us kind of seriously do that sort of thing, that it's going to have a tremendous impact on each of our individual walks with the Lord. And that's our goal, isn't it? We want to be more like Jesus at the end of this day than the beginning of the day, at the end of this year than the beginning of this year, at the end of our walks here on this earth than at the beginning of our walk with Jesus here on this earth. So let's ask the Lord to work in our lives, that we wouldn't just have high impulses, but that we would put those high impulses into action. Amen. Are you with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, for an opportunity today <clears throat> to just sort of pull back, not necessarily study anything new in the Word, more likely just to be reminded of a lot of things that we already knew. And Lord, I ask for uh, fruit as a result of our time this morning. And Lord, that any effort that any of us sort of put into this later today, tomorrow morning, Lord, that you would bless those efforts and that it would indeed bear much fruit. We look forward to what you're going to do, Lord. And we know that the enemy will attempt to raise doubts and discourage us and get us to quit. And so, Lord, uh, even now, we, in a fresh way, we cast ourselves into your care. We rely even more on your Holy Spirit. Empower us, strengthen us for your glory, I ask in Jesus' name.